know, um, around in our world today, you might see a lot of things that uh, bring to mind the word fear, for example. Uh, fear is a constant companion for a lot of people, a lot of things causing us fear, and uh, uh, many things causing panic uh, or anxiety. And appreciate uh, Megan Smith putting this together for me this week. Uh, if you'll look carefully, you'll see a lot of things in there that are causing us a lot of panic and a lot of fear, causing a lot of people to ask the question, is this the end? Is this it? And thus, uh, our sermon series that we began last week, and we'll continue this actually as kind of a sub-series within the Gospel of Mark uh, that I have called the end of the beginning, the end of the beginning. And uh, this, of course, is from Churchill's quote uh, where he announced the victory in North Africa so many years ago, 1942, when he said, now this is not the, not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end, uh, but it is perhaps, he says, the end of the beginning. And I think that's a very fitting title for our consideration of what we know as a sermon uh, from the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse that Jesus preached long ago, Mark chapter 13, verse 7. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, the Mount of Olives is a hill, a mountain east of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, during the time between Palm Sunday, which we considered in our consideration of the Gospel of Mark several weeks ago, and his death on Friday, it is what we would call Tuesday night, but what they would have considered in Jesus' day as Wednesday, because remember, their days began on sundown. And the disciples have asked Jesus a three-part question, as I recited from Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And the sign or of the end of the world. Jesus had just foretold the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem so that not one stone would be left on another. And so they were asking, blown away as they were by such a revelation, they were asking, when would this happen? When would be the sign then of His coming that would result in what they call the end of the world? Or as some translations have it, and it's accurate, the end of the age. And it was this that prompted Jesus' message to them and the verse that is giving us the title, what he called, these are, this is not the end, but this is the beginning of sorrows. Remember the word sorrow in Greek refers to labor pains and how that labor pains then begin slowly and uh, rather quietly, but then they quickly progress and they come with uh, more faster and they come with more intensity. And so this is what's going to happen with the labor pains that Jesus describes. Uh, they will obviously be in the world. We've heard a lot about wars. That's nothing new to us. There's been wars ever since Jesus was here. Rumors of war, hot war, cold war, famines pestilences, earthquakes, all these things are things that we know about well. 
Jesus is indicating to us that these things will begin to come faster and faster and faster, leading up to an application, of course, during specifically the last three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation period. The Apostle Paul also used the reference to labor pains in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Now, these same things that Jesus mentions here will be mentioned again and again. In the book known as the Apocalypse in Greek, we know it as the word, as the book Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And these same things will show up again and again and again. We see them right off the bat as he begins to talk about the time of judgment in Revelation chapter 6 with the famous four horsemen of the Apocalypse. Four horsemen of the book of Revelation. This is in Revelation chapter 6. John would see a a scroll with seven seals on it. And inside of that scroll would be found a record of God's impending judgments on the world. Six seals. seals. The seventh seal then would usher in the six trumpets. The seventh trumpet then would usher in seven thunders. And the words of the seven thunders were sealed. Sealed right back up. John heard them. We have no idea what they were because God didn't reveal them. But all of those were inside this scroll with seven seals. When he opened the first one, there was a rider on a white horse with a bow but no arrows, which indicated that he had power, military power, but he did not have weapons. And as Daniel would tell us then, this rider would come and he would come in peaceably. This first white horse rider is none other than the one the Bible calls the Antichrist. That's him. And he comes in peaceably. And in fact, for three and a half years, there will be a time of his power and a a relative state of peace. But then the second horse and rider are given. Second seal. And this one has the power then to take peace from the whole earth. As war then, a war that we would call a world war. Probably one not like anything we've seen before. A war affecting the whole earth will break forth. Second seal. Third seal. Third horse and rider. would speak of economic chaos and famine. So that not only would the money supply go to nothing, a day's wages would be used to buy the ingredients, not a loaf of bread. Think about how much you make in a day. A day's wages wouldn't buy a loaf of bread. It would buy the ingredients by which you could make a loaf of bread. If you could find the ingredients. Famine. An economic collapse. Seal three. It gets worse. The fourth horse and rider arrive on the scene, verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse, Revelation 6, 8. And its rider's name was death. 
and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. A quarter of the world's population will die in this war. And the famine and the pestilence that comes. A fourth. Coming on the heels then of that war, celestial events spoken of as stars, some kind of heavenly body falling to the earth and apparently triggering earthquakes, that very thing Jesus mentioned in our text, and perhaps volcanic eruptions. In fact, if you look in Revelation 6.13, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Uh, See the imagery, it's not a scroll unfolding. The heavens depart like a scroll that's being rolled up. What you're seeing then is, is the sky going black. Something is blackening out the sky. No doubt the dust from the volcanic eruptions and smoke. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Say, Brother Rich, do you believe that? Sure do, that's going to happen. We know about how a mountain can move. If you were around when Mount Helens blew up, Mount St. Helens blew up a few years ago. Most of us, many of us were. Some of you would have to Google it. But uh, if most of us watched that in real time almost, I mean, it was right there on the news. And suddenly, there were, one day there was a mountain. Next day, there wasn't. It was a big hole. Can an island move? Well, if you remember the earthquake near Sumatra on December the 26, 2004, and off the coast of Japan on March 11, 2011, then you know how an island can be moved as much as 30 feet and even more in some places those islands were moved. The 9.0 earthquake that triggered the tsunami which killed tens of thousands of people in 2004 was said by the USGS, that's the United States Geological Survey, to have released the energy of 23,000 nuclear bombs the size of the one dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. 23,000, not a typo. I bring you this this morning out of Revelation to show you that obviously there is an application of the things that Jesus talks about that are going to come with greater intensity and ever faster during the tribulation, especially, especially during that last three and a half year period. But Jesus speaks of things that are an ongoing reality. They are a part of our lives. They are things that we are seeing. And yet he seems to be telling us that we will see these things begin to grow. We will see them happen then faster together seemingly. There will be more and more of them, or at least it will seem to be, as these things escalate and build up to this time of the tribulation. Uh, that's why I'm talking about to you today the beginning of sorrows. We're, we're, we're not at the end. <laughs> we're not. This isn't even the beginning of the end yet, but we may very well be nearing the end of the beginning of sorrows that Jesus described in this passage.
the time that builds up to and ultimately will give birth to that time of unprecedented tribulation and judgment on this earth. Paul would allude to these things as well in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. He said, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You see, as Paul was talking about the coming of this very same time, he talks about how the evil men and seducers, the deceivers, will get worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the way, that is the very first thing Jesus warned us about. Deceivers and deception. Mark chapter 13, verse 5, And Jesus answering them, that is answering the question of the disciples, began to say, Take heed that no man deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Many deceivers. Many, many will be deceived. And so the first sign of the birth pains that Jesus speaks of, the the first birth pain, if you will, is this sign of deception. And though it has been going on, it will increase exponentially, I might say, as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, closer and closer to the time of the tribulation, and it will absolutely explode during the days of the tribulation itself. When the Holy Spirit and and the work of the church that has been hindering as Paul talked about in, in the, to the Thessalonians, it's been hindering this and holding it back. But the rapture is going to come. And the Lord's people are going to be taken out. And then this evil is going to be turned loose. And so there will be a veritable explosion of it in the tribulation time. But it will be increasing. We live today, brothers and sisters, in a time of deception. A day and an hour where deceivers are getting worse and worse. And people are being deceived on an incredible scale. Before Jesus came, there were men who claimed to be Christ, the Messiah. And they were proven false again and again. There were many after him. Intervening centuries, of course, have seen various people show up and either they proclaim themselves to be the Messiah or claim to be Jesus or other people claim that He was, made that claim for them and they didn't stop it. The 20th century brought many false Christs or Messiahs. Many of them were recognizable as insane. Charles Manson comes quickly to mind. Some of you will remember him. Jim Jones comes to mind. Some of you will remember him. David Koresh comes to mind. Some will remember him. One right here in our own state 
Tony Alamo, who died just in 2017 in prison. Tony Alamo, his wife Susan. Some would actually make the claim of being Jesus, or many more would just assume that kind of control over people that we associate then with a false messiah. They were insane, and we recognize them as such. But the deception that Jesus warns us about in this passage goes deeper than that. It's not just a person who would stand up and say or make the claim about himself or present himself as being the Christ or the Messiah or that because that certainly will happen. It will. But that's only one side of the equation. You see, a person doesn't have to proclaim himself or herself to be the Messiah Uh, in order to make the move into this realm that Jesus is warning about, this realm of deception. All it takes is to change the truth about who Jesus is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul warned about this. But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, another Jesus whom we have not preached, another Jesus, or if you receive a different spirit you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it, but it all begins with another Jesus. Now, The Greek language has two different words for another. This one refers to another of the same kind. That is, that people would come claiming to be preaching the same Jesus of Scripture, but it will not be the same Jesus. It will be a different Jesus, though they claim that it is the same. And many then would be deceived by this false version of Jesus. I'm going to do some plain preaching in the next few minutes. And I'm not going to apologize for it. It is what it is. I'm going to do it as factually as I can. Mormonism. Also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Teaches that Jesus is a created or procreated being. The literal offspring of God the Father and one of His heavenly wives. According to Mormon theology, God the Father, Elohim, dwells on a planet with His many, of course, many spirit wives, producing many spirit children who await to inhabit physical bodies so that they too may one day ascend to Godhead, Godhood as their parents did. In Mormonism, their Jesus is believed to be the firstborn spirit child of Elohim or God. Mormonism teaches that Jesus and Lucifer were spirit brothers, both the procreated sons of God and born from one of God's wives. But you know, the Bible teaches us that Lucifer was an angel. An angel. And it says this of Jesus Christ, John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God And the Word was God. You see, Mormonism presents a Jesus that is a created being. He is not creator. He is not God, but a created being. 
the Watchtower Tract and Bible Society, better known as Jehovah's Witnesses, have a very similar view. They teach that Jesus Christ was the first created being of Jehovah God and that He was created as a divine-like spirit at some point in the ancient pre-creation times. This means to them, similar to the Mormon view, that Jesus was created and that He was created before all the other spirit sons of God and that He was the only one who was directly created by God. The Watchtower Tract and Bible Society believes that Michael, the archangel, is also Jesus. But isn't that interesting? The Bible says it's an angel. They deny the deity of Christ, that he is the eternal second person of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have their own translation, by the way, of the Bible, but especially the New Testament. And their translation is called the New World Translation. In their translation, John chapter 1 and verse 1 reads like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Uh, Not much of a change. Just one word and one letter. But it makes all the difference in the world. The Bible, you see, presents Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that in Him, that is Jesus Christ, dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So that when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, and that, by the way, is the confessional truth of Christianity... Jesus Christ is Lord, then the very essence of that is that we are saying Jesus Christ is God. And yet two of the fastest growing, quote-unquote, Christian religions in the world are considered to be Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses, not so much in America, but they have exploded. They've exploded in numbers around the world, as have the Mormons. Catholicism presents a view of Jesus Christ as being the co-redeemer along with Mary. That is simple Catholic dogma. Look it up. Jesus and Mary are co-redeemers. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When He had by Himself purged our sins. I was preaching on that passage one time many years ago and someone came up with a more modern translation and said, you know, my Bible doesn't say by himself. And I thought to him, my goodness, you've been robbed. (laughs) That's why I like the old King James, the new King James, and the modern English version because they all get Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 right. I think that's a big point. When he had by himself purged our sins. Jesus knew that there would come a group one day that would one day present Mary as co-redeemer. So what did he do? One of the first things he did was send her away from the cross. 
Mary's not co-redeemer. Your Redeemer and mine, your Jesus and mine, the Jesus you worship, and the Jesus that I worship is the Son of God who was born of a virgin Mary, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and there is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. But of all the religions in the world teaching a false Jesus, none stand out any more than Islam. If you've ever talked to Muslims or if you've ever considered their teachings much at all, you know that they claim to believe in Jesus as a prophet. I've heard many of them and witnessing to them and talking to them make that exact statement. Oh, we believe in Jesus. You may have heard them say that too. They're quick to say it. We believe in Jesus. But the Islamic Jesus, you may be interested in knowing, plays a crucial role in the establishment of the coming world domination of Islam. The Islamic Jesus was a man, not God. He was a prophet, not the Savior. The Islamic Jesus did not die on the cross. The Islamic Jesus was not resurrected from the grave to atone for the sins because in Islam's teaching, no one can atone for another person's sin. Instead, the Islamic Jesus went to heaven like Elijah did. And he there sits in heaven now waiting for the Muslim God they call Allah to send Jesus back to the earth. The Islamic Jesus I'm talking about. Much of Islam waits for the twelfth imam also known as the Mahdi. Many believe that the Mahdi and his return and uh, his then ability to set up a, a world kingdom, they believe that the Mahdi is alive in Iran today and has been since uh, 600 and something. Uh, they say that Jesus, when he is sent back, will join with the Mahdi who is greater than Jesus. They picture the Mahdi riding on a white horse. And they cite Revelation 2, by the way, in their own writings. I'm just talking, talking to you straight about what they've got. You can see it on the internet for yourself. They picture the Mahdi riding on a white horse, and they cite Revelation 6-2. Remember I told you, Revelation 6-2, the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist. But in Muslim theology, they believe that refers what your Bible and my Bible refers to as the Antichrist. Muslims call their Savior. And say that Jesus will be sent back to serve Him. The Mahdi will live a lead a massive army carrying black flags. And wearing black. They will wipe out the Jews and will be joined then by the Islamic Jesus in doing it. The Islamic Jesus will destroy Christianity by proving that we've all been wrong about him all this time. And after they've established their kingdom in Jerusalem, the Islamic Jesus will marry, have children, live for 40 years, and die to be buried next to the prophet Muhammad. He will shatter crosses. That's code in Islam for the destruction of Christian churches. By the way, that's one of the hallmarks of Islam. Wherever it is spread anywhere in the world, they destroy churches and build Islamic mosques over them. 
Uh, that is simply a matter of fact. Uh, somebody will say, well, you're hammering on Muslims. I'm just telling you the truth. This has been a hallmark of what they have done throughout the centuries. They tear down uh, up churches and they build mosques on top of them. This Islamic Jesus will kill pigs. That's another word they use to refer to people who refuse to convert to Islam. And the Islamic Jesus, in their belief, will be the chief evangelist of Islam. So, to summarize this, give you a quick crash course. The Islamic Jesus isn't God. He didn't die. He wasn't crucified. He wasn't resurrection, resurrected. He didn't atone for anybody's sins. He's in heaven waiting to be sent back to Allah to join the Mahdi, the rider of the white horse in Revelation 6-2, and be submitted to him and help to establish his kingdom on the earth. In other words, if you hadn't figured it out by now, uh, the Muslim teachings are basically the exact opposite of what the Bible says. And if you ever want to read the Quran, you'll find that they did that over and over again. Where they took the teachings of the Bible and went the exact opposite. Now, I'm not trying today to convince you that the Antichrist will be from Islam. But I will remind you there is a Muslim temple sitting on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem right now. Um... I would not be surprised if it didn't turn out that way to be just like the devil. Uh, to take the teachings of the Bible, flip them over so that the Antichrist actually wins and Jesus serves Antichrist and helps to put him in power and set up his kingdom and rule from Jerusalem. I mean, they've just interwoven the teachings of Islam all around the teachings of the Bible, which is what they did. I bring this to you to, not to engage in speculation that I can't prove biblically. That's why I'm not telling you that I believe that the Antichrist will come from Islam or that all these things they've taught is going to come true. That would be speculative on my part. I can't prove it. It is a very interesting thing to look at, especially when you consider the worldwide spread of Islam that we have seen in our lifetime, folks, in our own lifetime. I bring these things instead to you for this one reason. Jesus warned us that there would be many who claim to be serving the same Jesus. Many, not a few, many. There would be many false Christs, false messiahs who would be presented. And there are, there have been. But this is going to culminate in that ultimate time when the Antichrist, whoever he, come, whoever he is, will indeed set up a kingdom. He will rule in Jerusalem. He will establish peace with the Jews for three and a half years. And then it's all going to go bad. And it's going to go bad in a hurry. Just like the Bible says. Many false Christs, many deceivers, and many who will be deceived. We might think that we're inclined to, or be inclined to think rather, that we're in an age of sophistication. 
an age of science, an age of information. I mean, we've got the world that we carry around with us in our pocket all the time. We've got the information of the world at our fingertips all the time. We're not going to be duped. We're not going to be fooled. We can't be deceived. We're too smart. You need to think. If you're thinking that way, you need to think again. Because all this information and all the technology that we have is simply being used. And it is being used to propagate a false version of the world, a false version of humanity, a false vision of of what things are and the way things are. We might think it's impossible to deceive such educated, enlightened, and tech-savvy people that we are absolutely wrong. And I know that because the Bible says it. 1 Timothy 4 and 1, now the Spirit expressly says, the Spirit speaks very specifically about this, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. See, Jesus told us one of the birth pangs is the prevalence of deception and deceived people. Think with me carefully this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. The doctrine of demons is everywhere in our world today. It is all around us. And if we can admit that, yes, we carry around in our pockets. I don't have mine because I never bring it in here. We carry our phones around with us all the time. We can barely stand to put them down. If you find yourself leaving it at home and going to work without it, if you're like me, you will turn around and go back home and get it. Every now and then, I don't turn around and go back and get mine just to remind myself that I live the majority of my life without one of them things. And survived. And found my way around. And back. We used a map. Amazing things. If you wanted to know something, what'd you do? You went to the library. I'm not saying these things are bad. I got one of them right up here. But I tell you what. This thing called the internet gives us connectivity and places not only the truth at everybody's fingertips, but it it places an incredible amount of lies and distortions at everyone's fingertips. The doctrine of demons deceiving spirits are working everywhere today. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're called the prince of the power of the air. You wonder how that so many people in our world believe what they believe, why that they defend it, why that they claim it's wrong, why they promote it, why they do so with absolute lies. They lie and they know they're lying. They show no remorse. No regret. Why? Because their consciences are seared with a hot iron. They believe that it's okay to do anything or say anything if it fits in with their agenda. And the course that they are pushing on humanity, the doctrine of demons is everywhere. Playing this world like a drum. 
They don't think they're doing anything wrong. Their lies are perfectly fine. Their hypocrisy is fine. Now, they find some Christian being a hypocrite. Now, they'll trumpet that from everything, but all the rest of it, all just nothing to see here. Move along. In this age of deception, then, we have some tremendous passages that Paul gave to Timothy. I've already given you one of them. I'm going to read it again. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. I sent this one out a few weeks ago in our e-news bulletin that we send out our, on Wednesdays. Old Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. I want to tell you something really quick about science. What science can prove and absolutely prove is true does not contradict the Word of God. If the truth is out there, if they can prove it, I'm not saying all the stuff that they peddle to you and claim is true. That's uh, science so-called, falsely so-called. It's like the law of gravity. It doesn't contradict the Bible. Why? Because God made the law of gravity. Come on, give me a break. Any power that's out there, God made it. And if they find it and it's real, it doesn't contradict the truth of Scripture. It never has, never will. We live in a day where false science is being presented. And multitudes believe it. Paul told Timothy, you avoid that stuff. How do you avoid it? Glad you asked. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.15, I read it just a few moments ago, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, knowing the Scriptures will save your life. That's what he said. Knowing the Scriptures. And when did Timothy learn it? From a child. From a child. What we do out here, focus, vital. We need the preaching of the Word of God and the worship of the Word of God. We need the worship and the Word. We need it. It's vital to our Christian health. We need it. What is done in classrooms where we're teaching our adults in various places around this building, that instruction in the Scripture is vital. We need it. And if you're not going to Sunday school, I wish you'd start. I can't make you. But in many ways, the most vital thing that we're doing for the kingdom goes on down here in this wing. Six days out of seven, <laughs> children are being taught the Word of God. But folks, we can do all that we can do here. We can do the very best that we can do. But that is still not going to give your children the foundation that you need or that they need unless you are doing like Lois and Eunice did that we talked about earlier, Timothy's grandma and his mother preached on them last Wednesday night who were pouring the truth of Scripture into Timothy from his childhood. And even though Timothy's father was an unbeliever, he was a Greek, his grandma and his mother taught him the Word of God. And there came a time when he heard the message of the gospel and he believed it. Why? Because it was already in his mind and already in his heart. And the Holy Spirit just took it and boom, he was saved. And he was preaching in no time. Why? Because he was already so grounded in the truth of Scripture. 
What a great testimony that is to those two wonderful women that they had raised a young man so deeply installed with scriptural truth that when he got saved, he was ready to be put behind a pulpit and start preaching. That don't happen every day. But it happened with Timothy. Folk, we're living in a day of deception. Jesus told us about it a long time ago. He didn't stutter. He didn't give us some obscure thing. Well, no, no, uh-uh. He was very plain. There would be false Christ, and he told us, You take heed that you be not deceived. And Paul has reiterated that truth for us and told us, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Folk, this is not going to get better. It is going to get worse. We live in an age of deception. Growing deception. This is no time for biblical ignorance. The deceivers are going to come faster and faster. They're going to come with greater and greater intensity. They're going to put more and more pressure. They will get worse and worse. Folks, this is no time to be letting an iPad and an iPhone raise your kids. I've raised five of them. And forgive me for saying so, but you need to get these things out of their hand a little bit. Get them out in the yard. Teach them how to work. Teach them how to whittle. (laughs) And boys are going to need to know how to whittle. Teach them how to work on cars, how to fix stuff. Teach them how to work in the yard and grow groceries. Take them in. Teach them how to can. If you don't know how, learn. These are things that they may very well may need in a very short time. But above all, Make sure you're teaching them the Word of God. You can't bring them up here on Sunday morning and call it good. They are going to be wrecked in this age of deception. If you're not grounding them in the Word of God, day in, day out, week in, week out, we're seeing too many of our kids already caught up in the deception that's been peddled in this world. I can preach harder and longer. I can. I'll be glad to. (laughs) I will. We need to be doing more. Pour the Word of God into your kids while you've got them. With the current ever-growing obsession with the miraculous... In America and American Christianity, with the obsession with signs and wonders, and God suddenly speaking to people everywhere, giving them new revelations and personal revelations. What do you think will happen when this satanic miracle worker appears on the scene, claiming to be Jesus or claiming to represent Jesus? Do you think people are going to get caught up, swept in to the deception? Yeah. This is no time, folk, for biblical ignorance. Maybe you've been thinking about it some. You know, I I need to. When we start looking at this and looking around in our world and seeing what is happening, we're, we're not at the end. This isn't the end. This isn't even the beginning of the end. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Jesus told us when the begin the beginning of the end is going to happen. We are, I believe, nearing the end of the beginning, the beginning of sorrows. I believe God's next prophetic event on his timetable 
is the rapture of the saints. I'm listening for a trumpet sound. And by the time I hear it, I'll be gone. <laughs> uh, and, and I know, I know I'm, I'm going to be taller and I'm going to be skinnier. I, I know that. It's going <laughs> to... Younger. I'm going to be younger too. I don't know that. The Bible tells us we don't know what we shall be, but we know this. The most important thing of all. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't kid about something that's so serious. Folk, the uh, most important thing is that we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have a glorified body just like that, faster than that. Before it could even register in our minds, we're going to be home. And standing with all those who've gone before, and no doubt bowing at the feet of the one who gave his life for us. Made it all possible. I'm looking for that moment. And it's coming. I hope I see it. I may not see it uh, with the heart still beating. <laughs> I may be one of those that gets to go first. Either way, truth's the same either way. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain to be caught up together meet the Lord in air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Yeah. I believe that's the next thing on God's prophetic timetable. But I also believe what Jesus taught us about the birth pains. They're going to come faster. They're going to get worse and worse. And the first thing that he warned us about was deception. Deception. And the days of deception are on us right now. We are in the middle of it. It's time for us to put ourselves in the nose of our children, our own nose in the nose of our children, into an old black-backed book that says Holy Bible, and get them to reading it and studying it.